Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Major Crush. This is Meredith Griffin. Ciao. It's Lou Zant. We are so excited. We are going to be talking Italian wine today, and we are honored to be、um, speaking with Laura Donadoni. She's an,、uh, a global ambassador for Italian wine, among many other things. And we are thrilled to get to chat with her. As you've heard me talk about several times on our podcast, I'm a total nerd for Italian wine. And、uh, we, this is the first time we're doing remote because we're still not able to travel as easily. So we're doing a remote podcast, but we've all got a little glass of wine because wine does connect us. So we're at least can, I'll be sipping a little Prosecco, getting into the Italian mood, our L'Oreal Prosecco. Um, so、I, I, I'm drinking、uh, this month's、uh, beautiful Pinot Grigio, Della Venenze.、Uh, it's, boy, it's really good. All over my palate, real soft notes.、Mm. Same here. I've got that delicious L'Oreal Prosecco, which I'm going to enjoy throughout this、uh, podcast. But Laura, Simplicity we. Simplicity in a glass. Simplicity in a glass. Exactly. Laura, we are so excited to have you here. But I think what's first, I, I think you need to, first of all, I don't think a lot of people would know what a global ambassador for Italian wine is. But tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. We're、okay. just going to dive in. So, ciao, everybody. First of all, I am honored to be on this podcast and I am glad to share some Italian wine love with you and with your listeners today. And yeah, we are talking remotely, but you know, wines get us together. So,、uh, we can get through this, and wine is helping us. Absolutely. So, yeah,、um, there is a lot of curiosity around my、uh, work as Italian wine ambassador. And a lot of people is asking me, what the hell does it mean? Well, is that a job? You get paid to drink Italian wine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Where do I、yeah. put my application in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's complicated.、Uh, it's more complicated to, to explain it. that To actually do it. So、uh, it's a title I gained through a certification, so through an exam that I, I took、uh, in San Francisco four years ago、uh, through Vinitaly, which is the、uh, biggest、uh, wine fair in Italy. And it is actually the biggest wine fair in Europe. Uh, you have to imagine like,、uh, something like 3,000 producers showcasing their wines uh, through, throughout a, a week of、uh, programs, and, and、uh, you can walk around and taste the wines. Of course, it has been canceled this year and last year, and they are hoping to do that、uh, in June this year again. And、uh, the aim of Vinitaly is to、um, spread Italian wine culture in the world through Vinitaly International, which is an Academy,、uh, which、um, form people、uh, throughout in, in all the, the world, worldwide, to、uh, talk about Italian wines, Italian diversity,、uh, the grape varieties, and to help producers and wine producers associations to be known、uh, in other countries.、Mm -hmm. And I'm doing that in the United States. 
but um, I'm also a certified sommelier. I am a wine judge in wine competition. I'm a wine educator. I'm a writer. I have a blog, so I write about Italian wines. I have a podcast in Italian talking about uh, wines from the U.S. So uh, my job is basically to communicate wine in all the way possible through podcasts, video, writing. And yeah, so that's why I'm with you today also to share with you my passion and what I know about Italian wines. Mm-hmm. I, must have, I must have seen you there. I was at that uh, Vin Italy last uh-huh. uh, year. Yeah, a year ago. What, 19, 2019. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- that was the last edition. Yeah. That was fabulous. God. It, it is, so right? Every possible one. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit chaotic. And it can be overwhelming because there are a lot of wines to taste, a lot of people, but it's a part of our culture. Wine is um, sharing for us in Italy. Wine is a conviviality. Wine is staying together. So that chaotic fair is actually a metaphor of what uh, wine (laughs) is for for Italian people. I love that. So you said they're hoping to do it in June of 2021? Yes, and okay. now it's scheduled uh, the 18th of June uh, for four days. Uh, but we hope we are crossing fingers, and we hope that we'll be able to take place. Yeah. Oh, my fingers are crossed too. I want to. Yeah, go. you almost you almost need a day in each room. You know how they have yeah. separate little rooms off. Yeah, the side? Is- that, that'd be the best way to do it. Yeah, and you, I always try to have an agenda, like a schedule, and I say, okay, today I'm going to try these wines, and I go to this producer, and then I step in the fair, and, you know, Italian wine, everybody is taking their jacket and saying, come to me, come to me, you have to taste this, you can't go away without tasting my wine. So you can take your agenda and throw it away, just right yeah. after you, you step in the fair, because, you know, it's a big party. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds awesome. And I love what you were talking about. And I know we'll talk more about it later, but just how wine is is more than just it's not just a beverage. It, it isn't anywhere. But I think no, especially true of Italy. It's just part of the meal. Like you said, it's part of bringing people together. Yeah. And yeah, it has been really tough for for producers this year all over the world, I believe, but also in Italy where we have this uh, passionate way, uh, also physical way to show our love for wine because mm-hmm. we like hugging, we like uh, welcoming people in a physical way. So it has been really difficult. Well, let's dive in. I think one of the things, because I love Italian wine and I've been studying wine, but I'm still very intimidated by Italian wine. And I think it mm-hmm. is very intimidating because old world countries, first of all, label bottles different than here. It's not going to say Pinot Noir or, but also because uh, Italy has more than what, is it 300 grapes that are just native to Italy? Uh, no, it's, actually, it's thousands. Yeah, it's thousands. thousands. It, yeah right. Uh, it's thousands, but in the national registry of uh, grape varieties, which are allowed to be used to produce wine, there are more than 544 uh, varieties, like in the register, in the national registry, which accounts for one third of the worldwide varieties. Uh, wow. So... If you think that uh, Italy is tiny, it's like California uh, as extension, and it has one third of the worldwide grape varieties, 
you can understand how the diversity is really huge uh, in Italy. And it is one of our assets in the in the wine world, in the wine business. But it's also overwhelming, as you said, because the consumer, even Italian consumer, they don't know all the Italian varieties. And, and sometimes they, it doesn't, uh, you know, uh, it is a lifetime that you are drinking Italian wines and you are still discovering new varieties. <laughs> And there is still right. something you haven't tried. So it's overwhelming from one side. And the other side is also the difference uh, in labeling wines, as you mentioned, between old world and new world. So we in Europe tend to label wine uh, with the name of the places where wine is produced because we believe in something we call terroir. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with this word, but I think so, since you 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 do, you know, you do wine education with your podcast. So so I think they are familiar with the word terroir. It's a French word that indicates uh, the, um, uh, the, the ability of uh, grape varieties to translate the territory, the geology, the soil, the atmosphere, atmospheric conditions, the climate, and also the traditional way of producing wine in that region. And so everything ends up in the glass. And so that's why we tend to label wine with the name of a place. Because wine in Europe has a sense of place more than a sense of uh, variety, like a grape mm -hmm. variety. So mm. we believe that uh, Nebbiolo grown in Piemonte is very different from the Nebbiolo grown in Valtellina. And uh, matter of fact, in Valtellina, they call it Chiave Nasca. So they give it to Nebbiolo another name. And so on the label, you will read the name of the place, Barolo, which is Nebbiolo produced in the Barolo area. Mm. Or you read, uh, I don't know, Inferno, which is uh, a place in Valtellina where they produce uh, Chiave Nasca, which is the Nebbiolo of Valtellina. So it can be confusing yeah. because the consumer doesn't know which variety they are drinking. And mm -hmm. so wine education is key uh, to understand uh, the European label, labels. Mm -hmm. And is it is it also true that, I mean, a lot of the Italian varietals never really make it outside of their region, so we won't even ever see them over here in the States? That yeah, it's well. true for mo most of the Italian varieties are grown in the very place where they uh, were born. So the autochthons, autochthonous varieties, sorry for my pronunciation, the yeah. indigenous variety, they um, most of the times they are produced in a very few quantities and they don't even uh, are exported abroad or outside of that province, that county. So yeah, for instance, I, I am from Bergamo, which is a, a city a 30 miles east from Milan in the northern part of Italy. And um, in my city, there is the smallest appellation of Italy, uh, which is the DOCG. Is a, uh, this is an acronym that you read on the label for uh, the highest quality appellation in Italy. And the smallest one is in my hometown, Bergamo, and they produce this wine, which is a Moscato di Scanso. Uh, it's a red uh, dessert wine. It's a red Moscato, which is very rare to have a oh. red berry Moscato. And they produce totally the whole production of the, the the producer in that area is kind of like a 30,000 uh, bottle. So uh, 30,000 bottles is, I don't know how many cases, but it's very, a very little production. And many people in Italy, they don't, they ever, never drank uh, Moscato di Scanso uh, because they live outside that province. So 
Uh, wow. the, so we are talking about sometimes very rare wines and gems, let's say unique. A red, wine. A red Moscato. I've, I've mm -hmm. never heard of that. I know, I've never heard of that. That's it's amazing. Cool. It's really. They now export some something like that in, uh, only in New York. There is one producer that got some cases uh, in a wine shop in New, in New York, but that's it. Uh, they're not exporting to the U.S. unfortunately, but mm. anyway, there, there is yeah. some we'll We're just gonna have to go visit. <laughs> yeah, like when I when I was studying uh, Italian wine, you know, like you have the the wine region, which there's twenty about twenty regions in Italy, and then you know, like almost a triangle at the top, you've got the wine region. At the bottom left hand corner, you have the varietal of the grape. And then on the right is are the, even the sub regions. Exactly. So even you know even if you take your time to memorize the twenty regions, good luck because you're going to have to yeah. go into sub regions. The sub regions and, and sometimes and, the villages. A village, village. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like like Barolo is a tiny uh, city in uh, in the region of Lange, in the sub region of Lange, in the region of Piedmont. So you have like, like it's a, also similar to the French uh, system, but uh, yeah, you have a lot of names to memorize, and it's not. So say, easy, I know. To say it's a lifetime to learn all the Italian mm -hmm. wines. Yeah. yeah, and what a but, fun thing to do for your life. You know? Yeah, but actually, I think that you don't need to memorize it. Maybe you just need to understand how to read the labels, and yeah. then there is Google, so you can Google the name <laughs> and find that. Because you know, sometimes when I say this thing, uh, consumers are really intimidated and they say, "Oh my God, uh, if I want to learn Italian wines, it's going to be a headache because I have to memorize everything, and it's." It's too hard for me. No, no, I, I want just to enjoy the wine. So, yeah, just if you understand the mechanism of the, uh, of the let's say, words that you find on the label, then you can go online and find out everything about the name, the region. So just for you to understand how to choose a wine uh, when you read something on the label and you want to understand what it is. So as you as Lou was mentioning, there are the region, the sub-region and the villages. And there are also some terms on the wine labels that uh, can, you know, help you in choosing the wines. Oh, there she is. Okay, we lost you for a second, but I think you're... Ah, okay. Yeah, I wrote yeah, down I the, my goal yeah. uh, of the five steps of mastering Italian wine. I wrote, memorize those 20 regions, mm -hmm. then pick one mm -hmm. and memorize the, the uh, native grapes from that one region and then drink the wine and then rinse and repeat. Do it to yeah. another region. Yeah, that's a good method. That's a right? good method. Yeah. So that's that's going to be married like to my assignment. All right, I'm, I'll, I'll work on that with you. <laughs> I think explaining a little bit about, like you mentioned, DOCG, and then I also know there's DOC, so sharing with people those differences. But then there's also other label labeling. Like there's some bottles that don't don't have that on there as well. Yeah. So uh, basically the system of appellation in Italy is very similar to the French system and is based on um, place, places and quality of the wines. So you have to imagine a pyramid, a pyramid, pyramid. On top of that, there is the, on the point, on the upper point, there is the DOCG, which is the highest seal of quality uh, and uh, let's say, um, 
recon recognizing the, the the famous and most uh renowned wine of italy so to be labeled a docg wine it, it you it, you have to produce a wine in a high quality uh, territory uh, a traditional territory which has been producing wine for several years and it has been recon recognized as a uh, let's say hallmark for italy and we have a 72 now or 74 i think they added to last year uh, 74 uh, docg in italy so the 74, 74 area regions which uh, if you produce one within that area so within that geographic area and uh, following some rules that the government set rules that uh, are about quality so uh, maximum tons uh, per hectare like the quantity of, of oh. grape you can produce or right. the way the way you can age the wine if you can use a wood or not in aging the wine so there are a sort of requirements that the government set in order to be able to put the DOCG seal on your label and that seal is released by the government so once you fulfill the requirements, the government gives you the seal and you can put that on the on the neck of the bottle, actually. It's a brown okay. label you will see on the neck of the bottle. It's brown and it says DOCG. Then immediately uh, below the DOCG, there is the DOC, which is usually a larger region. Maybe uh, the DOC sometimes com comprise the DOCG uh, smallest region. Uh, and it has, let's say, less requirements than the DOCG status. But it's again the same system. The government sets the rules. You have to respect them in order to label your wine. I don't know, uh, let's say, Lange DOC. Or uh, if, it, if it's Barolo, you can say Barolo DOCG. If your vineyards are located, some of them outside of Barolo, some of them in Barolo, you can label your wine Lange DOC because you have fruits coming both from the area which is DOCG and the area which is not. So it's a, let's say, fallback appellation and broader appellation of the area. And then at the, uh, at the very bottom of the pyramid, you have the IGP or IGT. When you see a P instead of a T, it's because uh, the European Union tried to uniform uh, the, right. the, yeah. Yeah, the acronym on the labels and so Sometimes you can see DOP instead of DOC, uh, and th that's the correspondent name, uh, European name of the DOC wine. So it means the same. So you can see IGP or IGT, and IGP or IGT means geographical uh, denomination. So it's an even broader area, and sometimes it is the region. So sometimes you can read Puglia. EGP or Puglia IGT or Lazio IGT. So it's the whole region. It's a regional wine. So the grapes can come from these different spots in that big region. And sometimes you don't even have an IGT or a DOC or a DOCG. So what, which kind of wine is that? It's a wine maybe produced with some grape varieties which are not allowed by the government to be included in the DOC or DOCG or IGT because maybe they are international varieties. Yeah. So you can have a Merlot from Puglia, which is not IGT, uh, which just says Merlot, Vino Rosso, so red wine, and you know it's produced in Puglia, but it can be labeled with the government seal because Cabernet, Merlot or Cabernet are not indigenous varieties. 
So they are considered international varieties. So there's nothing specific to the uh, terroir or to the place. It's just what a, about uh, uh, what about super Tuscans? Yeah, that's they do have that's those American varieties. Yeah, that's in interesting because uh, the movement of super Tuscan uh, was born in the early nineties, uh, going against these rules of the government because they wanted to experiment uh, growing Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot in the Chianti area, in the area where usually producers only grow Sangiovese. And uh, back at the time, that was a, a sort of, uh, you know, rebellion to tradition. Uh, and they wanted to try because they, they thought uh, it was Antinori and the Tignanello, the, the first that started, or the Sassicaia, the first people who started all this movement. And they got, like, uh, extremely good results with their wine. So they said, okay, we can label them as uh, DOCG, as Chianti, or as uh, an IGT wine. We're just going to label them table wine. So they, they put on the market these stunning uh, wines from international varieties from Tuscany, and people started call them super Tuscan because they we don't we didn't even have a name for that uh, wine which was was new on the market, but they were so good and they got the movement uh, really to a lot of producers followed them in this experiment and they became famous as a super Tuscan. Until two years ago, they were still labeling the wine as table wine, but it was the most expensive wine coming out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I, and now, now they have a DOC, which is Bulgari DOC. Oh. Bulgari is the village, the, the place where Sassicaia and Ornellaia and Masseto wines are produced. And so now they can put on the label Bulgari DOC. But mm, it, it started out as table wines. Yeah. I, I like Super Tuscan better than table wine. Yeah, Super Tuscan. <laughs> yeah, 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 Sounds more, a little bit sexier. Yeah. 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 I think that's really helpful because I think you you just don't again you often see what you're talking about those little labels when you're at the store and not yeah. you know not knowing what the, those mean that's really I think helpful it's would you say that's a good sign of quality not that there aren't good quality wines like you said you just talked about super Tuscans yeah and they weren't a DOC and there's great quality but is it a general rule that you might want to look for a DOC or DOCG to know that you're getting Let's say, um, as a general rule, if you are in the supermarket and you, let's say, have uh, wines from one region, uh, let's take, I don't know, Valpolicella wines. Uh, if you are comparing prices of the wines from Valpolicella, uh, maybe take a look of that seal. If you see that they have the DOCG seal, maybe go for that wine that um, maybe costs a couple of bucks more, but you are guaranteed by the government that that wine fulfill a really hard list of requirements in the quality of production. So I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying you will like it more because it's personal taste, I can tell. But for sure, you will have a product which uh, undergoes more um, controls by uh, in in every step of the you know of the production so from wine growing to uh, bottling to fermenting so the government uh, through the wine producers association we, which we call consortio in italian they go and pick samples from the producer to test test the wines 
and to guarantee that that wine is made with that great variety, is made in that way with, uh, you know, respecting all the rules. Also in terms of sustainability and um, tons per hectare, uh, so the yields, they want to keep low yields in order to have better fruit. Yeah. So. I can say it's a better wine because if you like the table wine, which is not UCG, it's fine. It's totally fine. But uh, if you're looking for something which uh, like scientifically is uh, done in a more respectful way, I don't know how to put it, but uh, the UCG label, label can help you navigate that. So if, if there is not costing so much more, go for the DOCG instead of the DOC. Uh, that's my advice. And that goes back to what you opened with, like that idea of terrar and a sense of place too. You're probably will, a wine with that DOCG label will probably give you a better sense of what that yeah. place produces. Exactly. That's the aim yeah. of the government uh, in, uh, you know, having this uh, appellation system, like uh, helping, like um, spreading the idea of sense of place of that specific place and the tradition of that area. So, yeah, it's something useful, but uh, it's not the only factor of quality in choosing an Yeah, and, and, you know, I want to I want to reach out to our listeners now and, and tell them, you know, don't don't hesitate to follow this lead um, that, that we're sharing here, because when you think about Italy, you you have on many of the grape varietals, three thousand years of history. I mean, the, the massive amount of, of varietals, and, and think about it, each one of these, what, 544 to 1,000, mm -hmm. have their own unique flavor, their own unique taste. And yeah. so, you know, you'll never accomplish this. So to start out, I don't believe you should be intimidated to, to no. pick a DOCG, right, Mayor? No, not at all. I think you just, you go for it. I mean, I haven't found an Italian wine I don't like. And I've tried, <laughs> to be honest, I haven't. So. I, well, I, I went around Finn, Italy in San Francisco, what we were talking about earlier, and I was the same way. I'm kind of going, doggone it. Yeah. I just yeah. haven't had a bad one here. Yeah. Generally speaking, the value for money in Italian wines is really high. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I found was interesting, uh, my best buddy down in, down in San Diego, uh, his niece became an au pair to a really famous uh, uh, family that that grew wine, and and she was they were coming to visit America, and she said that she wanted to have Monty and I taste his wines, and we were all excited, and you know we opened them, and and Monty and I poured a quick glass, and we kind of looked at each other like you know this is good, but and then all of a sudden the gals brought out the uh, bruschetta from the oven and I took a bite of the bruschetta and I sipped the wine again and it was like unbelievable. Yeah. And, and they, he said, Lou, we make wine. It's a food, food. right? Yeah. It's kind of like yeah, that's a really nice episode. You told you, you told us because it's really uh, what we Italians um, think about wine, which is a complement of food. So sometimes you drink wine by itself and it's okay. It's like, okay, it's good. It's not so exciting. But then if you pair it with the right food, uh, and usually it's the local food, uh, that specific wine, wine become heaven. So heaven. 
yeah, it is made to complement the flavors of the food. So we usually drink wine uh, while eating, uh, even in I don't know as an aperitivo or a pre-dinner. We usually pair it with something to eat all the time. That's the concept of the Italian uh, food and wine pairing, which is peculiar of uh, Italians more than French people, for instance. Yeah, I think so, for yeah. sure. That's how, I mean, I told the story a few times on our podcast. I Going to Italy, traveling to Italy is what made me a wine person. I liked wine before, but I fell in love with wine in Italy. And it, it was just whatever the, usually it was just the house wine that was on the table that went with the meal. Like nothing's... We didn't, weren't ordering anything special. It was just fantastic. And I think to the point you both made it went, we were in different yeah. regions and every region, the wine was delicious and it was with a different food. Yeah, that, that's one of the rules. So pair the local wine with the local food and you can't go wrong. So that's the, the first, the, the simplest uh, wine and food pairing rule. But yeah, um, the wines are designed to enhance the flavors of that uh, cuisine of that specific territory. And yeah, I, I love it. I love this concept and I, I really advocate for the wine and food pairing. And all the time when I teach uh, Italian wine classes, I always include a section of uh, food pairing because you can really change your mind about a wine if you're drinking it with the right food or with the wrong food because all yeah. the wrong food pairing is the thing. And sometimes you can ruin a perfect good wine that it, it tastes to you too acidic or too alcoholic or uh, wrong in somehow because you are eating it, we are drinking it with the wrong food. Uh, totally yeah. agree with that. So totally agree with that. Well, let's play a game here. Oh, yeah, oh. like, uh, so, all right. In, in America, and especially here in California, probably three white wines that are household words would be Sauvignon uh, Blanc, mm -hmm. um, Chardonnay, and what? What would be another one, Mar Meredith? I mean, I think Riesling is popular, but probably not so much in California. Uh, well, did you know that in the early 1900s, the number one grape varietal in Napa, California was Riesling? Because you think about it, you you have uh, the Benzingers, the Beringers, the yeah. um, uh, what's his name, um, Hagen. They were all Germans mm -hmm. that ended up yeah. in Napa. The Italians ended up in Sonoma. Yeah. yeah that's, so that's what right. what would be what, name three whites that would be like your top three in Italy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, uh, no, uh, I wanted to follow up on the Riesling. And I think in some area of Napa, Riesling is really good. One of my favorite is Smith Madrone Riesling. And I think it's one of, I mean, the, the most amazing producer of Riesling in, uh, in Napa Valley. And yeah, there, there are a lot of wine varieties that were traditionally cultivated in Napa Valley before uh, the Robert Mondavi revolution of, uh, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay everywhere. So before uh, he uh, took over, uh, there were a lot of vineyards of Riesling and also Petit Syrah, for instance, was typical in, in Napa Valley. And I really like to go and pick this uh, producer that are still 
um, cultivating these varieties. And I, I find them stunning. Anyway, talking about Italian wines, yeah, if you like these uh, traditional varieties, let's say Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay or Riesling, you can mm, easily find some uh, similar wine uh, in the Italian uh, grape varieties. Uh, for instance, if you like Sauvignon Blanc, I will suggest you to uh, try Verdicchio. Verdicchio dei Castelli di Iesi, which is uh, an appellation in, uh, from Le Marche region. Le Marche is basically uh, east from Tuscany. So if Tuscany is facing the uh, Tyrrhenic Sea, so the Tyrrhenic uh, Sea, yes, of course, uh, Marche is facing the Adriatic Sea. So it's uh, basically uh, the, um, uh, on the same latitude of Tuscany, but on the opposite side of the boot of the shape of Italy. And it's on, uh, sometimes it's underrated as a region, but it's as beautiful as Tuscany. And uh, they also grow Sangiovese there, but it, it has a different uh, taste, a totally different character uh, there. And on the coast, uh, close to the shoreline um, in Le Marche, they are growing a lot of verdicchio and they are famous for verdicchio. Uh, why I say if you like Sauvignon Blanc, you will probably like verdicchio because uh, you have these uh, also herbal notes in the verdicchio, like the aromatic herbs, uh, some cucumber, some green bell pepper. So these um, pungent uh, notes that you can sometimes find in Sauvignon Blanc. And also because verdicchio can translate very well the minerality and the soil uh, of the vineyards, as Sauvignon Blanc does. Think about the Sauvignon Blanc from France, uh, the Silex, for instance, or um, they, they can translate the the chalk, the chalk, the limestone soil yeah. very well. And also in uh, Iesi, which is the, the place where Verdicchio de Castelli di Iesi is cultivated, you have a mix of clay and limestone soil. So you have a strong minerality in that wine. And so if you like, let's say, the laser-like wines, uh, good acidity, good minerality, um, light, medium light body wine, probably you will like Verdicchio. Is it affected? Did it, is it, um, did they focus on developing that? Cause it's, a, it's up, uh, it's on the water and it pairs really well with like seafood. Yeah, uh, it's not directly on the water, it's on the hills, so we have also a good temperature excursion and sea breezes coming from the sea to help the aromatics to be, you know, preserved in the in the wine production. And yeah, the, the cuisine of the, of the place is basically uh, seafood, uh, shellfish, a lot of shellfish, so yeah, it pairs very well with the local cuisine. And they are also, yeah, Verdicchio. And the, one other like, good thing about Verdicchio is that it can age beautifully. It's one of mm. the few Italian white wines that can yeah. age. And when it age, uh, it ages actually develops some um, Riesling-like hints. So also, if you like Riesling, you will like Verdicchio as well because it develops some ethereal flavors like flint, like uh, rubber, like uh, uh, these you know charming flavors given by the the aging, the oxygen going slowly in and uh, giving complexity to the wine. So I had some twenty years old Verdicchio. Oh wow! And they were stunning. At Vinitaly, actually, last year, uh, no, in 2019, when you were, were there, Lou. 
So yeah, I suggest this is a, for wine lover, the radicchio will be a good surprise uh, if you like Sauvignon Blanc and also Riesling somehow. If you like like bigger wines, like um, medium to, um, let's say, uh, a bigger uh, body wine, uh, like Chardonnay, for instance, uh, to pair, I don't know, with lobster, with richer uh, preparation or with um, fatty fish, uh, you can go for Greco di Tufo. Greco di Tufo oh. is a wine from Campania in the Irpinia. We are in the Avellino province. And uh, Tufo is actually the name of a place, but is also related to the kind of soil you have in that area, which is the Tufo. Tuf. I don't know how to say that in English. Um, oh. it's, tufo. Uh, tufo. I don't know. Sandy, sandy or uh, dark? Calcareous, very porous. And, yeah, um, okay. yeah, more like sandy loom here. Yeah, kind of like that. So okay. it, it is the name of the soil as well. And the variety itself is more waxy than a verdicchio. So it gives you a bigger body wine. And it has these uh, sweet uh, notes like honeysuckle and mm. uh, yellow flowers. And sometimes some tropical, but not that much, like more kiwi than pineapple. So it, it's really interesting. And if you like Chardonnay, probably you will like a more fruit-forward wine like Greco di Tufo than uh, Verdicchio. Okay. Is, is Pinot Grigio popular over there? Pinot Grigio is a very common wine as it is um, here in the United States. And uh, you are drinking, I believe, Pinot Grigio delle Venezie, which is a brand new appellation uh, in Italy. Oh. It's just two years they got the DOC uh, appellation. Now it's a DOC. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, uh, because Pinot Grigio was grown all over the places, but uh, they wanted to give to Delle Venezie the appellation because it's the best place in Italy to grow Pinot Grigio. And um, saying Delle Venezie, we intend the area uh, from, uh, let's say, uh, that include part of Veneto, the region, uh, part of Friuli, Venezia Giulia, and part of Trentino. So it's a broader, it's an interregional appellation. So oh. it includes part of three different regions. And they call it Delle Venezie, like Venezia in a plural way. So Venezia, oh, the name oh. of the Venezia okay. with the final E that we say E, uh, means uh, more than one Venezia, uh, oh. more than one region from the area. So that's why. And oh. that's the best place in Italy uh, to grow Pinot Grigio. And where it is traditional to grow Pinot Grigio, then you can find also some Pinot Grigio from Sicily, from the southern part of Italy. But it's not, it doesn't give the good results that gives uh, in that area, in the northern eastern part of Italy. Because Pinot Grigio needs some temperature excursion, uh, not so much sun because it can get burned, it can get very flat uh, at the mouth. I believe you will, have you tasted in your life different kind of Pinot Grigio also coming from South America sometimes or mm -hmm. even in the hotter area of California? And if you taste that uh, with a Pinot Grigio delle Venezie, you can mistake them from totally different wines. Yeah. yeah because uh, in the hotter area, you will have a bigger wine with a fruit forward and with low acidity. 
Uh, on the other end, the Pinot Grigio, the original one from Delle Venezze, is a mineral wine with the highest acidity, good with food, with uh, some citrus, with um, white flowers. So it's a very totally different pro uh, aromatic profile. And so they wanted to um, award that area with a DOC appellation because they want uh, to promote abroad the Italian style Pinot Grigio, which is the, let's say, fresher version of Pinot Grigio. Uh, and so good. We love that Pinot Grigio. Really One good. of my favorite Pinot Grigios. It's definitely got more complexity to it. White flowers yeah, too. When you said that, I just I, I'm tasting yeah, like, it right white now. White flowers yeah, and and some of them has some mountains notes like daisies or uh, hay sometimes or mountain herbs because they are grown maybe uh, in vineyards very close to the uh, to the Alps to the Dolomites. Why am I starting to hear a lot of stuff about Sicilian wines? What's going on there? Uh, the most famous area there that is having a lot of success also in Italy, but also abroad, is the Etna area. Yeah. So I'm sure you're um, like reading or hearing about the Etna wines. Uh, we had Etna Rosso, which is the red version of Etna wines, and Etna Bianco. And they, they, are, they have been doing a great uh, work of uh, promotion and they changed like the new generation of producer got together in a new association. And in the last three years, they were all over the places in the world to tell about their wine region. Oh. So they are doing a really good job and they, their wines are unique. They are wines grown on the only active volcano of, of Europe. Uh, which is Etna, which is wow. very active because you have eruption like every two, three months. And uh, I've vis I visited the area and the vineyards there, they are old vines. And sometimes they are prephyloxera wines. What does it mean? For, uh, oh, yeah. 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 yeah, they are very old because uh, on the, let's say, side of the volcano, you have sandy and lava so sand and lava soils. And in that kind of soils, the phylloxera, which was this uh, um, insect that destroyed all the vineyards in the 1800s in Europe, uh, that specific insect is not uh, thriving in sand soils and lava soils. So that specific vines, they were spared by the phylloxera disaster. So you have in that part of Italy very old vines. Uh, I'm talking about uh, 100, 150 years old vines. Yeah. Wow. The grape varieties as well are really uh, rare. They are Nerello Cappuccio and Nerello Mascalese for the red version. And Carricante is the main variety for the white version. So um, they are really unique also, the, the kind of varieties. You can find these varieties cultivated in every other part of Italy. So, yeah, it's fascinating. Does that, does that lava make like, you know, the over here with the the higher up on the mountains around the, the Bacchus and the Mayacamus and the Moon Mountain, you get this kind of a cool gunpowder flavor yeah. in red wine. Does, what does lava come through like? What kind of flavor does that? It has a smoky uh, flavor, like a flavor. malt. Like, yeah, like a smoky, smoky. Oh, like flint. Yeah. Like yeah, flint. much like what we're talking about. Yeah, obsidian yeah. soil, yeah. Or graphite, a lot of graphite. Yeah. Like yep. the, when I say to my classes, uh, people ask me, what does graphite smell like? Uh, take a, a pencil and smell yeah. the point of a, like sharp a pencil and smell the point of a pencil and it will be like graphite. Yeah, that that's the, the main flavors. But 
yeah, they are very, very um, particular wines, and they are very common now in the United States. Also here in California, you can see them on the wine list a lot of time. Um, oh, good. Yeah, I, I, I think, see them. Did, I um, I believe did, didn't you write a blog that had talked about some of the Sicilian yeah. wines? So yeah. if you if you could look up her blog and learn yeah, about some actually, of these. I'm, I'm very uh, you know happy about that. Um, that blog post because I got awarded for uh, uh, um, internationally for the best wine reportage in 2019 for that specific article about Sicily and these great varieties. So yeah, you pick the the one I love the most. Yes. Well, yeah. you do. Ma you make me drool when you talk about it. I can tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I, and I know we you, we could sit here and talk with you all day about Italian wines, but I think we would love two things that we definitely want to still touch on is. Mm -hmm. The red wines, we also talked kind of the same thing you just said with the white wines, like taking the common, like Lou mentioned, the common white wines. Let's talk about some of the common red wines and their equivalent in Italian. But one other term, because you've mentioned to it a couple times, you've talked about how the traditional area of growing wines. And is that related to like if you see Classico on the label or yes. am I correct about that? Yeah, no, no, perfectly correct. Uh, some appellation, only some of them, not all of the appellation of Italy. Uh, some of them like Chianti, uh, Suave, uh, you can read on the label sometimes the word Classico. So you read, you read Chianti, Classico. Chianti is the name of the geographic area. And classico means uh, that that specific wine come from the very traditional, most historic place where uh, all the viticulture um, tradition be, uh, started in that area. So let's say it's the most historic place where that wine was first cultivated for, for first produced. So classico means a very, very historic, very, very traditional area. So, yeah, if you want to taste a, a wine with a true sense of place and a very traditional wine, you go for the classical version instead of a regular version. So with no words on the label. And the other term you can read sometimes is a reserva. Reserva, it, is, it doesn't mean higher quality because sometimes one think a reserva, ooh, a reserve wine, it means that it's a higher quality. No, in Italian, reserva just means um, that it has been aged more. So if you have a wine uh, that is reser reserva, probably it went through a, a barrique uh, uh, fining time or a barrel uh, period uh, to age, uh, to get more complexity uh, to the wine. And another terms you can read over the label sometimes is superiore, mm -hmm. which doesn't mean superior in terms of quality again, but it does mean uh, higher alcohol content. Oh, oh. Is that, yeah, the superiore uh, has uh, at least 1.5% alcohol more. Oh, wow. Than the, than the version which doesn't state superiore on the label. Uh, oh wow! Okay, yeah. that's 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 good to know. Especially, I feel like the trend now is people want lower alcohol wine, so exactly. they might be buying that thinking they're getting a better wine, but really they're getting yeah. It is not related to quality. Is uh mm -hmm. is related to the content, alcohol content. Because in the past, it was considered good to have more alcohol. I don't know why this there, this misconception through all Italy. Uh, there was because maybe it was hard to get the grape ripes. 
ripen in some places of Italy. So a higher uh, alcohol content was uh, like uh, considered to be higher quality because it, you can get uh, grapes very ripe and, and, you know, with a lot of sugar. But I know it's a misconception from the old way of producing wines in Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, so cool. So do you want to, you're going to play our game again, uh, Lou? The yeah, three let's common reds? <clears throat> well, I, I would say California would be Cab, uh, Cabernet, mm -hmm. Sauvignon. And I'm going to say, you know, because of Sonoma, you got to say Pinot Noir, Pinot but Noir. it's, that is Burgundian. But uh, what about Zinfandel? Oh, yeah. California, for sure. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. We Primitivo have a, in Italy. a related grape variety, which is Primitivo. We, they are not the same variety, but they come from the same, uh, let's say, they are siblings, is what we say. Yeah, they came out of Croatia, right? Yeah, Croatian variety. And so, yeah, they are kind of the same, but very different for the sense of place, of course, because Puglia is a different terroir than, uh, than, than California and Lodi area where Zinfandel is, uh, is most produced in, in, uh, in California. So that's an easy match, let's say, if you like Zinfandel, probably you will like Primitivo. But about Cabernet Sauvignon, which is one of the most uh, loved with uh, grape varieties in, uh, in the US, I will say you try two wines. Uh, one is Montepulciano, Montepulciano I love it. Brutto, love it. Which is uh, very similar because it has uh, plums, uh, you know, uh, blackberries and a lot of fruits, but also chocolate, uh, sometimes coffee, because you can find some, uh, you know, oaked uh, version of Montepulciano. And it is, it is uh, produced in Abruzzo or in Le Marche. So, it's actually pretty. Com uh, it's a pretty widely uh, cultivated variety in the central part of Italy. So you can find it in Le Marche with a with a character, and in Abruzzo with a totally different profile. So you can play around and, and find out which is your favorite. But if you like Cab, you will find a very you know luscious wine. Uh, what I call a comfort wine. It's a comfort uh, wine. Oh, like, uh, with, you know, like why, would you, mm. why would you ever eat spaghetti bolognese without a Montepulciano? You <laughs> yeah, know, like, exactly. why would you or, do or a, that? Exactly. Or a lasagna. This very oh. traditional food with, a, you know, ragu or, yeah. So it's a comfort wine because it's really, I mean, uh, um, probably you will like it. So there is a few people that don't like Montepulciano because it's a, it's a really warmy and luscious wine. So yeah, if you like Cab, that's the, the first bet. Then depends. If you like Cabernet, like be more um, like uh, neat, clean, not so big and, and uh, let's say luscious, you want something like more austere, you can go for Aglianico. Uh, especially Tauradi, oh. which is from Campania, oh. and it is cultivated on, yeah, volcanic soil, and it can age beautifully, and it has this uh, ink, inky color, and um, yeah, you can find some similarity with uh, Cabernet Sauvignon from, uh, for instance, Atlas Peak or the uh, high altitude area of um, Napa Valley. Uh, the mountain Cabernet Sauvignon, let's say. Yeah. Uh, so you can find some uh, affinity with uh, Aglianico and Taurasi because Taurasi has a high elevation also and it is on volcanic soil. So you have minerality and acidity and uh, wines that can age uh, beautifully, like for 
15 20 euros easily why and why do i love why do i love sangiovese so much with food because sangiovese is definitely the first food wine of italy like uh sangiovese is is made for food uh, like, yeah. for charcuterie for salumi for finocchiona for uh, also for a stick if you have a you know a fiorentina can go well with sangiovese maybe a brunello di montalcino which is bigger than a chianti uh, it can go well with all the also the um, uh, tomato based preparation for instance if you have a fish uh, fish uh, soup like a chopino with uh, oh. tomatoes uh, sangiovese can yeah. air well because you have some tomatoes in, in the sangiovese wines as well so it's very versatile as a wine and also with pizza sometimes i i love uh, a light yeah. body sangiovese because it's you know aromatic and you have like rosemary in there and tomatoes and uh, bright fruit so yeah I love yeah. Sangiovese too. Yeah. Mm, yum. You're making me hungry though. <laughs> <laughs> me too. It's but... dinner time. Um, was there one that you, this uh, with Pinot Noir that you think is? Oh yeah, Pinot Noir. Uh, I'm a Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir lover actually. And if you love Pinot Noir, you will love Nebbiolo. Uh, yeah. Like like Pinot Noir, Nebbiolo can really. Uh, it's uh, I call it like a reporter grape variety and you see what, what what do you mean uh, i identify a lot in a pinot noir and a nebbiolo because they translate the the uh, the soil the atmosphere the climate uh, yeah. very uh, perfectly so they are they adapt very good to the place they, where they are grown yeah and, and so you you have different really example of nebbiolo or pinot noir based on uh, the location of the vineyards the spot the single vineyards and so they are reporter because they take everything they listen ah. and oh yeah to you in the glass you know uh, I like I that. that. Yeah, that's why I said that. And so if you like, and um, also if you think about Barolo, for instance, they are very uh, light wines because uh, somebody um, can think about Barolo as an important wine because it, they you have to drink it after several years because it, get, it gets better. But it's a light body wine. Uh, if you look at the color, yeah. it's very, you know, uh, clear, like a Pinot Noir. Uh, it's very light. And uh, also the, there is a lot of tannins in the but they smooth down with age and sometimes you have these floral hints that you have also in some Pinot Noir depending on where they are grown of course if, if we are talking Burgundy for sure you have more acidity and minerality if we are talking Sonoma you have more uh, fruit and flowers but uh, it's a spicy wine it's a wine with a, a lot of uh, you know also uh, pepper a lot of uh, cinnamon a lot of uh, you know cloves sometimes depending on where it's cultivated and Nebbiolo can be a good Mm, let's say peach for who likes Pinot Noir. Yeah, you know, uh, Meredith and I have these really good friends, the Fapoli brothers, and they're a third generation Italian uh, uh, wine family. And they make this really fun wine that we love with our pizza, and it's Dolcetto. Yeah. Ooh, it's like a big jammy, you know yeah, what I mean? From Piedmont, it's a very traditional wine in Piedmont. Like uh, it's an everyday wine there, and yeah. Yeah, people is enjoying it with the uh, salumi uh, of all kinds, or also cheeses and 
I like dolcetto. It's an under, underrated wine, but underrated. Uh, you see yeah. it. It's the it's a lot of times the least expensive wine on a wine list too. Exactly. So that's a good wine to know about. Yeah, oh, dolcetto cool. d'alba and dolcetto dogliani. Dogliani. If you read dogliani on the label, is a the best place to, to grow dolcetto, oh. actually. And uh, there are three or four appellations for dolcetto, a couple of DOC and one DOCG. Um, yeah, so you you can easily find it, and it's underrated, but now you can have very good example of dolcetto on the market also in the U.S. Do you have a favorite pairing, like your favorite Italian food with your favorite wine? Like, is there just like this beautiful epiphany of a combination like, that you have? <laughs> like what your mom would make when you come visit her, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, uh, I'm from Bergamo, so um, the cuisine of northern part of Italy is very different from the southern part very. of Italy. So, uh, for instance, in, in my house, they cook uh, polenta with a uh, rabbit. Rabbit is a um, yeah. you know, okay. typical dish of my town, rabbit and polenta, roasted rabbit with polenta, uh, or I don't know, quails, roasted quails with polenta, or sometimes uh, like stew, uh, like a beef stew with polenta. Uh, mm. So it's a, like a very winter, let's say, cuisine. Because it's yeah, mountain, cold, mountain cold, type yeah. stuff. Yeah, wintery. So we mentioned the Fopoli brothers, and what is it that they have? Their hometown's known, and I won't. I don't know the Italian wording for it, but basically stewed ass, isn't it? Like yeah, donkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, also in Bergamo, we eat uh, donkey stew. Yeah, yeah. It's a, they're it's from a, northern yeah. Italy, probably yes. not too far up near the Alps as well. And so they told yeah, us, yeah. if you come visit, so, you're going to have stewed ass. And to, well, to be honest, and, I'm not a lover of my hometown cuisine so if somebody's listening probably will get offended but that's true <laughs> so Shame I on really, you Laurel <laughs> I know I do really enjoy southern cuisine I'm a I'm a fish lover I love fish I love seafood I love uh, clams mussel oysters I love uh, raw fish so uh, I, if I have to pick my favorite uh, pairing uh, it will be like a pasta like a spaghetti with uh, Richie Richie is the sea orchid but uh, sea orchid, you know, in Italy, uh-huh. in the southern part of Italy, we have the um, small sea orchid because the one you are used in the U.S. comes from the ocean and they are very yeah, urchin. Sea yes, urchin, yeah. urchin. Yeah, sorry for my uh, pronunciation. No, beautiful. So I love beautiful. like fresh sea urchin in Sicily, for instance, with pasta. So a very simple uh, plate, but very savory. You, you know, this, the flavor of sea urchin there is very, uh, uh, a strong umami flavor, uh, very, you know, salty and, and uh, bitter and sweet at the same time. So, and I will pair that with um, Avernaccia di Oristano, which is a very rare wine from Sardinia. And it's made, oh. sherry, it's a sherry-like wine. So oh. it's made with the Solera system, like, uh, I don't know oh, yeah. are, uh, how sherry is made, but it has these, uh, like, nutty, uh, like, bitter uh, notes, but it's very aromatic. And if you stick your nose in there, you will have dried apricots, like almonds, like, uh, it, it tastes like a sweet wine at the nose, but it's totally dry, bone dry at the mouth. And that is kind of heaven for me. Yeah, that, that's the perfect pairing. Wow. I know it's a very unusual story about that. But no, I, I love that. That's what makes so fun. Curious. 
Yeah, so you can go and Google uh, Vernaccio di Oristano and see what, what's about and also the pairing with that. Um, yeah. I'm writing it down. I probably am not spelling it right, but I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> Vernaccia is V-E-R-N-A-C-C-I-A. Oh, yeah. And, okay, Vernaccia, that we say like that. And Oristano is a place in Sardinia, but if you write Vernaccia Sardinia, it, it will pop up. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll have to go to Italy to probably try it, which hopefully yeah. we will get to. Do, we'll get there one day. You can find in in the U.S. too. Silvio Carta is the main producer, and I found that in the U.S. on wine. Oh. Oh, great. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll put a little link. Send us a link. We'll put it on the uh, okay. bottom on the notes of the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Laura. I you're one, one of the most more- fun. What are you going to ask her? Well, I have one more question. I we have to talk a little bit about prosecco, right? Because yeah, bubbles. Just, I, I don't. I'm drinking a great prosecco. I don't have well our L'Oreal prosecco. Um, but I'm just talking about that. But I also think I know there's one a lot of people don't know about it. Francia Corta is that because I feel Francia like that. Yeah, uh, prosecco. And uh, we love, all love prosecco because it, it was like the most successful story of Italian wine in the last decade because the success of prosecco all over the world just exploded everywhere, and they mm-hmm. were so uh, good in promoting uh, their wines and to keep up the quality of the prosecco on the shelves. So I really I'm grateful to what the prosecco producers did for my country in the world. And so if you like very easy, easy drinking, fresh, uh, like uh, everyday bubble prosecco is the wine for you and it's very fun. And you can also find some higher quality prosecco. We have a DOCG appellation of prosecco, which is Valdobbiadene, which is the name of the area where Prosecco was first cultivated. Now we have a broader area, broader region to uh, where you can find also Prosecco DOC and other appellation. But if you look for the DOCG, is the Valdobbiadene Prosecco. And the best, best place ever is Cartizze, which is the one hill in the middle of Valdobbiadene where the best vineyards of yes. Prosecco are. Yeah, And if, yeah. if you uh, will travel to Italy again, and we will all, uh, you have to go and visit Cartizze because it's uh, heaven. You look around 360 degrees on that hill and you just see vineyards. Like you can't see anything else. It's like being in the middle of uh, the Eden for a wine lover. And it's uh, oh, now they yeah. are a world, heritage, a world heritage site. So it's really oh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. From, from this year, from 2020, they've been declared one of the world uh, by UNESCO, one of the world heritage sites. So it's beautiful. So we love Prosecco. But if you want to drink something, let's say, more complex and more champagne, champagne-like, Francia Corta uh, could be a good alternative, and also Trento Doc, which is another appellation from Italy. Uh, they are made champagne-like, so with another process of production. Prosecco is a Charmat method, so the second fermentation to get bubbles takes place in the tank, in the big stainless steel tank. Uh, for Champagne and also Francia Corta and Trento Doc, the second fermentation takes place in the bottle. So in the very bottle you purchase, uh, they uh, add some uh, liqueur with uh, sugars and, and mass to get the second fermentation, so to develop the bubbles. 
uh, that then get trapped in the bottle when they cork it. And so it's a long process, but it's a more expensive process of producing a sparkling wine and it gives uh, more complexity to the wine. So you have uh, yeasty flavors, like you have uh, brioche, you have custard, you have like more uh, three-dimensional di- three di- three wines than uh, the Prosecco, which is more easy drinking and fresh. So Franciacorte, if you like champagne, you have to try it. And it's from my region, Lombardy. And if you like mountain wines, go for Trento Doc, which is uh, in the Dolomite region of Trentino. Uh, Ferrari is one of the most famous producers of Trento Doc. Uh, and I, I bet you want, you know, Ferrari because it's all over in the United States. You can easily find it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. Seriously, we we can hang out and talk with her Girl. all night. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna tell you, Meredith. I'm feeling a major crush. I'm on totally crushing. We're gonna when life gets back to normal, we're gonna come visit you and we're gonna yeah. drink some yeah. Italian wine together and eat some Italian food together. Yeah, or you come and, visit us. Or come, yeah, you come yes. visit us. Actually, I'm very happy because next week I'm flying back to Italy for work. Oh. And oh. It's, it's a long time I'm not going back. So, yeah, I'm very excited and thrilled. And, yeah, I will keep you posted and see how is the situation now there. I want your help. We, we kind of have a... We got a big group of us that that are all involved in Major Crush, and we sort of, you know, it's it's a lot about family and that. And I wrote down this proverb that's an Italian proverb, and I'm going to say it in English, and maybe you okay. can say it in, in in Italian. It says, "Where sure. wine reigns, where wine reigns, reigns, silence doesn't reign." Okay, dove piove vino, non piove silenzio. And so, that's what that's the, that the idea. Where, there, where there's where there's wine, there's noise and joy and exactly. enthusiasm and it's family. Chaos. And chaos, wine is chaos. chaos. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's so I, beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful and it's really how Italian are around wine. Yes. Beautiful. I, we we have a major crush on you, Laura. Oh, Thank you yeah. so much. Oh my Thank God. you for having me. Thank you for having me. And, you were uh, awesome. Yeah, if the listeners want to reach out to me with more questions, I yeah, I'm totally available. You can find me on uh, Instagram or on social media as the Italian Wine Girl. As simple as that. So uh, I will be happy to answer any question. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Crush. We hear from our fans and followers all the time that our podcasts make them thirsty. Well, I don't know about you, but this episode made us hungry. So we want to sign off with some Italian love and suggest a yummy bowl of spaghetti bolognese and maybe a Sangiovese to make the meal complete. Be sure to check out our show notes for this episode because we've provided links to help you stay connected to the Italian wine girl. We also want to invite you to follow us on social media as we've put all kinds of posts together that tie into this episode. You can find us on Instagram at Major Crush Winecast. Next week is another podcast that might make you hungry too. We'll be interviewing James Ayers, a cheese expert from the Sonoma Cheese Factory. 
If you want to sip on something while you listen, might we suggest a crisp Sauvignon Blanc or for you red wine lovers out there, the perfect Pinot Noir. These two wines will make everything you hear in next week's episode even more wonderful. Until next time.